This is Positively Farming Media. Hello, my gardening friends. Welcome back to the Just Grow Something podcast. As we've moved forward with our garden planning, it's often difficult to know exactly how much of each thing to plant, even for experienced gardeners. You've had to have been pretty meticulous with keeping track of your harvests to have a firm grasp on how much each of the plants you grew last year actually produced. And then you sort of need to average that out over a few years, figure out whether that's enough for your needs this year, and then decide on how many plants you'll need based on that average. If you're not super meticulous or you haven't kept a journal, you can try to base this on memory for the things that you've grown before. But what about the things that you haven't grown? How do you figure out how many of something you'll need if you've never grown it before? And if you're a beginner, where do you even start to figure this out? That was one of the biggest problems I faced as a new gardener. That first mishmash of plants in the corner of my yard yielded me way more cucumbers than we were ever going to eat. Not to mention they took over almost the entire space. And I didn't know how to figure out how many plants I actually needed. The seed packet didn't tell me, hey, this variety will produce five pounds of cucumbers on average per plant, so don't plant six of them for three kids. I wish it had. I would have planted way fewer cucumbers. So in today's episode, we'll briefly cover a couple of different ways that you can use to figure out how many plants you'll need to meet your harvest goals this year. It's not exact, and it will require some time and patience to get through, but once you have a starting point, it gets easier from there. Let's dig in. Hey, I'm Karen, and I started gardening 18 years ago in a small corner of my suburban backyard. When we moved to a five-acre homestead, I expanded that garden to half an acre, and I found such joy and purpose in feeding my family and friends. This newfound love for digging in the dirt and providing for others prompted my husband and I to grow our small homestead into a 40-acre market farm. When I went back to school to get my degree in horticulture, I discovered there is so much power in food, and I want to share everything I've learned with as many people as possible. On this podcast, we explore crop information, soil health, pests and diseases, plant nutrition, our own nutrition, and so much more in the world of food and gardening. So grab your garden journal and a cup of coffee and get ready to just grow something. First things first, I want to say a big thank you to Carrie, my newest patron over on Patreon. Carrie has joined at the seed patron level and now has access to exclusive Patreon content. If you want to join Carrie and others like her in monetarily supporting this podcast, head to patreon.com slash just grow something to see all the benefit levels starting at just $2 a month. The link will be in the show notes in whatever podcast player you listen to and over on my website. Carrie also sent me some fantastic feedback about the podcast directly through email, and I truly appreciate that too. I also received more feedback from Cody via email, which is great, and lots of episode suggestions through the Gardening Friends Facebook group. Anytime I hear from you all, it gives me a direction to go with new episodes. So whether it's as a review on your podcast player, which is helpful for people who haven't found the show yet, or in the Just Grow Something Gardening Friends Facebook group, or directly through email, I truly, truly appreciate the feedback, both positive and constructive. So thank you. 
So a little update on what's going on around here in the gardens. I ordered nine new planter boxes while Planter Box Direct was running their insane sale at the end of the year. So those have all arrived, and the mean farmer got out there and got five of those put together already for me. So those five are two-by-six-foot boxes and the first set of five that I bought of those are located right alongside of our driveway and so this next set is actually going right next to those um, with enough space in between to be able to maintain the turf just by um, running the lawnmower through there because that's all that's over there you can't really plant anything in the ground on that side the thing about the positioning of those is that that area is on a slope so if you are a gardener who gardens on something that is a major slope, you might consider doing something like terracing that area and then placing in raised containers. This is just going to make it easier for you to manage the water flow and the drainage. And also it's just easier to sort of stand and be able to work in those beds. You can do this with an in-ground bed also by terracing the area. If you're only gardening on like a minor slope though and it's not it's not real dramatic and you want to use raised beds you still don't want them sort of sitting at an angle so what we've done is just dug out a little bit of the soil right there or the dirt for all intents and purposes because it's really not even soil um, just dug out a section and just to make it to where those beds are level and so it does create a little bit of a terraced effect I'll take some pictures and um, I will throw them out on Instagram and Facebook and uh, I'll try to, try to put some on the website too so you can see what I'm talking about. But it's very effective for an area that, that tends to slope a little bit. And then the other four beds that I got are square beds. They are four by four. So a little bit easier for me to reach into the center of than that five by five bed that I talked about in the, uh, the episode on determining your garden bed dimensions. These are going to be easier for me to work in. These are actually going behind our greenhouse. There's an area back there where we were repairing the fence. And I realized that that whole section back there actually gets full sun pretty much all year round, even in the middle of the winter. So we've cleared that out. We're in the process of starting to level it. And I'm going to put those four beds back there. That is going to increase my growing area just dramatically. And I'm super excited to see what that does as a year-round situation back there, especially with all the light that it gets. So more than likely, my overwintered greens will go back there next season. I also just ordered last week two green stock garden planters. Now, if you haven't seen these, they are tiered planters, so they're stacked. I got one of their or two of their original version ones, and they have five tiers to them. And then you fill them with the soil, and they have these little pockets that you basically grow out of. And then you water from the top, and it, it all trickles down. I've actually wanted to get one of these for a while, but I really couldn't justify the price on them because they seemed kind of pricey to me for what they were. And I had seen less expensive versions of this product, but they all kind of seemed like they were cheaply made, at least the ones that I had seen in person. And I wasn't really trusting you know, buying one off of Amazon or something because I didn't know what the quality was like. So when they had a sale last week and it was like, buy one, get the other one 60% off or something like that. And that was free shipping. I thought, okay, if I'm going to do it, now's the time to do it. 
And I can tell you, I am already super impressed. They showed up really quickly. They they even sent stickers and like a couple little seed packets of like carrots and stuff, which I thought was super cute. And I'm sorry if you're a child of the 80s like me, um, you love stickers. That's just the way that it is. But the quality of these things, I'm actually really impressed. They are not flimsy. They are definitely well-made and very sturdy. Um, it is. It seems to be a small family-run company as well. I believe it's all made in the U.S., so this is kind of ticking all the boxes for me. So we'll see. We'll see functionality-wise how they do for me this season. I'm going to put them up front, um, probably in with near where a lot of my other raised beds are, just because it's just the best place as far as lighting is concerned. And in the early part of the season, I think I'm going to use one of them for a combination of leafy greens and herbs. And the other one I will likely use, I'm going to try out doing some carrots in there. I'm also going to try out doing some beets. And then during the middle part of the season, I want to try bush green beans. Because if you remember, I've always had problems with deer out here and they constantly want to eat all of the bush green beans. I had some success with those pole beans last year. So our major crop for like our customers and stuff out in the in the big fields is going to be pole beans this year. And we're going to see how that goes. But I still like to have green beans that are up right close to the house in the kitchen garden for me to run out and grab for dinner. So I think I'm going to put in at least one of these towers, I will I will put bush green beans, maybe both of them, and we'll see how that goes. And then later on in the fall, as we transition towards cooler weather, I'm going to move them into the greenhouse and try growing some of the more tender leafy greens that tend to freeze on us here. So like leaf lettuces and arugula and and see how they do. The greenhouse isn't heated, so I'm going to have to protect them in some way because there are times when it just gets way too cold. So I figured just throwing some frost cloth over top of them will probably do the trick. So I'm super excited to try these out. I'm glad I was able to get a deal on them. Um, oh, and a big shout out to uh, Jill from the Beginner's Garden podcast because she was the one that posted about the sale and she had a little $10 off code that I used also. So um, that was extremely helpful. So I will, I will keep you posted on how these work for me this season. I'm super excited to try them. So other than that, um, we were gone from the farm for two weeks, and now we're back, and I've gotten back to slowly working on finishing up garden cleanup, laying down new mulch between raised planters out front. I'm still harvesting spinach from two of those beds, which makes me super happy. If you have never overwintered spinach and you are in a, a cool climate, um, really, you ought to try it out. Uh, this The taste of spinach that has been hit by a few frosts or even a hard freeze is phenomenal. It is so, so sweet. And it's very easy to do these and other hardy greens like kale by planting them late in the summer like you would a fall crop. Your goal at this point is just to make sure that they reach maturity before we hit um, 10 hours or less of daylight. And that way they can just kind of sit in a holding pattern in um, dormancy and be harvested throughout the winter time. And just keep them covered with a couple of, of layers of frost cloth because we have had like negative 26 wind chills and stuff. And, uh, and they did just fine. And then in the spring, as the day length starts to lengthen a little bit, they're going to come right back to life again, and I'm going to have a super early, fantastic spring harvest of the spinach. So if you haven't done this yet, I totally encourage you to try it out. 
So enough about my gardens. Let's talk about yours. Specifically, let's talk about using estimated vegetable crop yields or the estimated number of plants to grow per person in your household to help you figure out the space needed for your ideal garden or the opposite of that, how many plants you need to meet your goals and then figuring out how to fit them all in. So crop yield predictions and estimates of our family's consumption should obviously, largely, be based on our own personal experiences in our own gardens and our own climates. The most accurate way to really know how much you need to plant is by keeping a harvest log and then a kitchen record of some sort so you know if your yield is meeting your needs in your kitchen. This automatically makes for a smarter and more accurate planning. But if you're a beginner and you don't have many seasons to reference, or you just aren't someone who takes those detailed kinds of notes because, yeah, that sounds like a lot of work and ain't nobody got time for that, right? So how do you figure all this out? I'm going to link to as many resources as I can that give you charts for everything we're going to talk about. Now, if you're already in my Plan Like a Pro course or you plan to sign up, this information will already be consolidated for you in a couple of downloads in one of those lessons, so no worries there. Otherwise, take a look at the resources I link to or search for something maybe from the university that is closest to the location where you're gardening and use them as a starting point. If you have a university extension service near you, look for this information on their website. The results are likely going to be compiled from growers in your region, and so it should be more accurate for your garden. So if you live in Lincoln, you're probably better off getting this information from the University of Nebraska rather than the University of Southern California, right? I will say, though, I've found the information that comes out of Cornell to be pretty balanced regardless of growing regions. So I'll definitely link to them in the show notes. But if you have problems sourcing something local, try the links I leave for you and see what you find and go from there. No matter where you get the information, keep in mind that the numbers in these charts and these different resources, either the average yield per plant or the number of plants needed per person per season, whichever one you're using, has likely been averaged but is often based on really ideal growing conditions. Your crop yields are going to vary according to your garden conditions, your climate, and the variety that you plant. Weather and growing conditions are going to change from year to year, and these changes are going to affect your yield. We are not gardening in a vacuum, nor do we ever really see perfect growing conditions, right? But we can start with those estimates and then just move forward from there. So let's start with the plants per person method. Try to find a chart from a source as local to you as possible to get this information. I do encourage you to use resources that either come from or are derived from universities or from plant breeders or seed suppliers themselves. These are all organizations that do crop trials for a living. So once you've found your trusted resource, this method is pretty straightforward. For years, my resource was Missouri University Extension and their vegetable planting calendar. I will link to that also in the show notes. It's actually still the resource that I use when I'm trying to plan out planting something new to me. In that resource, it tells us the approximate number of plants needed per person in row feet for both fresh use and for processing. Now, some resources may do this strictly by number of plants or seeds needed in total, 
Others may only provide you information for fresh use, and then you have to decide how much you'd need extra for processing. And even with this information, you'll likely need to adjust based on your own family's eating habits. For example, the MU resource says that one person needs 5 to 10 row feet of spinach for fresh use and 10 to 15 feet for processing. So if I want to have enough spinach to feed myself fresh spinach throughout the growing season and have enough to put in the freezer, MU says I need 15 to 25 row feet just for myself. Okay, that doesn't sound too terribly excessive if you frequently eat spinach. If you have a family of four, though, that's saying you need 20 to 40 row feet for fresh and another 40 to 60 feet for processing. And this is where the information needs to become subjective to you and your goals. How much spinach do you and your family eat fresh? Do you even like it frozen? For us, the answer is we like spinach fresh, but we don't eat it cooked very often and we never eat it frozen or from frozen. So we can get rid of that amount for processing right out of the gate for us. And I also know that we eat more of the spinach in the very early spring and, you know, sort of in the winter when it's been overwintered from the fall because it just tastes better to us. So we don't eat as much of the spinach the rest of the time. And if we don't have it, we very rarely buy it. So that changes things for us too. But if you and your family are buying three bags of spinach every week from the grocery store, then yeah, you're definitely going to need more than I will. Which brings me to planning option number two. This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Method number two is by average crop Yield. Now, this method to me tends to be a little bit more accurate than the plants per person method. This method uses the average yield per crop type to help you determine the number of plants that you need. There are charts for this out there that are averages based on location. Again, get these from your closest university source. Or you can find this information on most seed supplier websites, and there are tons of websites out there that have compiled a lot of this information for you. Again, I'm going to link to some of these in the show notes. For some things, though, this is going to be difficult to find without a lot of digging, and some of the estimates are going to be, well, broad. Okay, tomatoes, for instance, are notorious for getting a wide berth when it comes to yield, and we'll talk about that in a minute. 
No matter what source you use, keep in mind these numbers are going to vary based on what variety you are planting. I cannot expect a huge heirloom tomato variety to yield the same number of pounds of tomatoes per plant as a more modern mid-sized slicing tomato. Their genetics are completely different, and that hybrid has been developed to have better yield in most cases. So think of these resources as just a starting point and then adjust from there based on your own knowledge. Even as a beginner or if you're planting something you've never grown before, you can make estimates based on your own research. Now, this method is great if you know exactly how much of something you generally go through each year in your kitchen. For example, my husband and I don't eat a ton of fresh tomatoes. For two people who grow hundreds of tomato plants each year for our customers, we don't eat them as much as you would think. We like a tomato and cucumber salad a couple times a week when they're in season, and we'll make fresh salsa every once in a while, but the tomatoes in my kitchen garden are a few cherry tomatoes that I snack on, one or two heirlooms for slicing, and the rest are all paste tomatoes. Why? Because we may not eat a lot of fresh tomatoes in the summer, but in the winter months, we go through a ton of pasta sauce and stewed tomatoes just between the two of us. So most of the tomatoes I grow for us are for canning, which means I know how many pounds of Amish paste tomatoes I need to can up 10 quarts of spaghetti sauce and like a dozen pints of stewed tomatoes to get us through the winter. Uh, in case you're wondering, it's about 75 pounds. <laughs> and if we look at the average yield per tomato plant for staked and caged tomatoes among most of those resources, it all says 10 to 30 pounds. Okay, well, that's a wide range. So I either need seven plants or I need three. That's not going to work. So we need to dig a little deeper, right, and look specifically at my particular variety. And every source I find says a yield for Amish paste tomatoes of around 20 pounds per plant. Now, as a beginner, without having any experience with these plants, this sounds reasonable. So I planted four plants the first time. Turns out my actual yield is closer to 15 pounds per plant. And if you've heard me talk about growing tomatoes in West Central Missouri before, you know it's because we often get hit and pretty much always get hit with some sort of disease and there's, you know, all kinds of stuff that actually reduces our yield. So I, the next season, planted five plants to be sure that I had enough. And that worked out. So that's exactly what I grow each year. Five Amish paste tomato plants just for us for canning. It's all a process, but you have to start somewhere. And the more information you have ahead of time, the better start you get. After that, it's a matter of note-taking and experience, which is why I always harp on you to keep a garden journal, even if it's just the minimum amount of notes. Having something to reference is better than having nothing. And honestly, probably the best way to start is to combine both of these methods. If you know what you need in terms of harvest for a few specific crops, say, you know, pounds of tomatoes or a specific number of bell peppers, then base your numbers on that method. But if you're not sure what you need, say, in terms of spinach or sweet peas, then use the references that tell you how many plants per person. And then cross-reference that 
with a chart that tells you the average yield per plant. And then you can decide if that sounds reasonable. If not, then adjust it. Once you have a rough idea of how many plants you need, then you know how much garden space you need to meet your ultimate goal because you can look up what the standard crop spacing is for each one of those things that you want to grow. And now this is the point where a lot of gardeners will start to panic. Like if I only have four raised beds I'm working with and for my ideal harvest, I'm going to need 20 row feet of spinach, 10 tomato plants, 30 feet of beets and like 10 feet of potatoes, and I still want to find room for carrots and radishes, then this can make me worry that I won't be able to fit it all in. Remember, these numbers are for a person's use for an entire year or a plant's yield for an entire season. So we can absolutely divide this up, especially if any of these things are cool season crops. If you can plant half of what you need in one shoulder season and the other half in the other shoulder season, that gives you a whole lot more room to get things planted. You can also use the companion planting and intercropping techniques I talked about in past episodes to squeeze more plants in where you need them. It is absolutely possible for you to get huge yields out of very small spaces and very small gardens. You just have to have a starting point and a plan for how to get there. So I have linked to a bunch of resources in the show notes with crop yield estimates, plants per person suggestions, and average crop spacing to help you estimate your garden space and your growing requirements. Use these estimates with your own experiences and your family's usual food consumption to determine the number of plants or seeds that you need for your garden this year. And remember, registration for my Plan Like a Pro course is only open until February 2nd, and I cover all of this and so much more in depth in that course. The link to that is in the show notes also. That's it for this episode. I'll be back again in a few days for another Focal Point Friday. Until then, keep on cultivating that dream garden, and we'll talk again soon. You just finished another episode of the Just Grow Something podcast. For more information about today's topic, go to JustGrowSomethingPodcast.com where you can find all the episodes, show notes, articles, courses, newsletter sign-up, and more. I'd also love for you to head to Facebook and join our gardening community in the Just Grow Something Gardening Friends Facebook group. Until next time, my gardening friends, keep learning and keep growing.